Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. This is like a snow day for us, you guys. I'm just shocked I'm not the only one here. I actually, does anybody ever got a rain day in high school if you grew up here? I've gotten a rain day. People do not believe me. It happens. It happens. This is the closest we're going to get to a white Christmas. So we just need to hold on to it and say, thank you, Jesus, for the rain. Uh, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Allie, and I am on staff here, and I'm honored to get to bring the word today. How many of you played sports growing up? How many of you are like, you would never want to see me on any, any court, field, track? Like, you're just like, please, no, don't ever. And how many of you actually, yeah, people back there, me, I saw that, Christina, and I called you out. You're welcome. Uh, Or how many of you don't play sports, but you love watching sports? Or you used to play sports and you have a team, and you think that you're on the team. You know what I mean? Like the way you cheer, you think that because you're cheering, they're going to win? That type of person? Okay, fun fact, that's not me. Just kidding. (laughs) Little known fact about me is I'm obsessed with the Green Bay Packers. Okay, yes, JJ. (laughs) I'm actually a part owner of the Green Bay Packers. It gives me nothing except for this piece of paper and just bragging rights, honestly. But I don't know how many of you remembered the 2009 NFC wildcard game that was here in Arizona where the Packers played the Cardinals. And I got to go to that game. I was 21. My friend's dad had season tickets and got us all tickets to go to this game. I was the only Packer fan in the middle of all Cardinals fans. And they, our tickets were in the Red Sea, in the end zone, and literally surrounded by red. And I'm there with my cheese head. <laughs> Just sticking out, so proud, so proud to be a cheese head in the middle of the Red Sea. And I had gone down at the front before, only the first few rows were Packer fans in the end zone, and everybody else were Cardinals fans. And I just remember at the, there was a point where Cardinals were winning, and it was like looking like there was absolutely no shot that the Packers could even be in this game. And I'm just sitting there sulking, surrounded by all these people cheering, like, rise up, Red Sea. And I'm just sitting there like, I can't, like, starting to pull my cheese head over my face. Like, oh my gosh, this is looking bad. But all of a sudden, something happened. Something switched. And we came back and we went into overtime. We sent it into overtime. It was one of the highest, I think it was the highest scoring playoff game in NFL history. And we went into overtime. And I'm screaming, go back, go, go back, go. I'm standing, literally standing on the seats in front of me and in a sea of red remember? Okay. And all of a sudden, eyes just start staring at me. My friends are staring at me. They go, kick her out. Kick her out. Kick her out. And it's overtime. I'm standing up there being like, yeah, they're kicking me out. Like, and my friends that I met at the beginning of the game, they were sitting in the first two rows. They look back, all the Packers fans, it was that loud. They look back and they were like, calm down here. I'm not lying, this is not a joke. I'm like, yeah! And they were all screaming, Cardinals fans are yelling when I leave and I'm just running down the stairs to the second row for overtime. So I got an upgrade. (laughs) 
by the way. And I'm there. These people don't know me from Adam, honestly. And they lifted me up, and I was leading the cheers of Go Pack Go. Or good for another, Packers, first down. Like, I mean, I was leading. I had my Hulk hand. It has a big one, and it's a Packers Hulk hand. And I was leading the crowd, and we lost. <sighs> 51-45. And it was that feeling of being on a team, of one mind, one voice, in harmony together. Whether you were for the Packers or against me, I guess. Like, kick her out. There's something that happens when you're on a team. There's something that happens when you have one goal in mind. When you have this one thought and you start saying the same things, you start chanting the same things, and you start accepting people that you have literally never met in your life, and you're hoisting them up, and you accept them because why? You don't know their story. You don't know their background. You don't know their beliefs, but they're wearing the same colors as you, and they are on the same team as you. And you accept them into the fold. One heart, one mind, same team. And as we approach our scriptures today, we are, as Josiah mentioned, we're in the second week of Advent and peace. And we've been doing these um, devotionals. I don't know if there's any more left in the back, but if you'd like to grab one of those devotionals, the verse that we have, if you want to go ahead and turn there, is Romans 15. So if you've already done your Sunday one, it was Romans 15, but we're going to read it together if you haven't yet. And the beauty of this scripture is reminding us of the oneness that we get to have as a body of believers. And so go ahead and turn to Romans 15, and um, it'll be on the screen for you. And Paul is writing to the Romans, the church in Rome, and this is a mix of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and Gentile means non-Christian. So these are non-Jewish believers. And so there's this whole mix of people, and he's saying this. He says, in verse 4, we're going to read 4 through, let's go 7 first and break it up a little bit. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And we're just going to pause right there before we keep going. What's happening here is that he's saying that through all of these scriptures, through everything that's been written before and the things that we have now are written to help us endure and all of the things that we're going through, to have patience and to have encouragement, to give us courage so that we have hope no matter what we're going through. And then it says that God himself grants us the spirit of unity. And in that verbiage, it actually means harmony. I think of, obviously, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? People singing, right? And if I got up here during worship and took a mic, that would not sound like beautiful harmony, you guys. But when we're all playing our part and we're doing what God has created us to do, he's called us to do, he's knit us together in our mother's womb and knew the moment that you would be born into and we lean into all that God has for us in that and accept each other just as Christ has accepted us. We can have one voice and one mind only 
because God grants us endurance and encourages us so that we can live in harmony. Now you might look at this and be like, what in the world does this have to do with peace? Because that's what I ask myself. I'm like, what does this have to do with peace? Actually, it looks like a lot like this has to do with hope. But as we continue on in verse 8, we're going to read the rest of this. And it says this, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says the root of Jesse, which is Jesus, will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will have hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that part is a very popular verse. I mean, we've even preached through that verse here, but looking at it in context, it's saying that Jesus, who is the fulfillment of everything through scripture to the Jews, he came through the Jews He actually also was for the Gentiles as well. Remember what I said, Romans is written to the church that was both Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is saying, literally since the beginning, for everything that's written, Jesus is here fulfilling it. When it keeps saying, as it is written, again it says, again it says, again, and also again. Those are all verses from the Old Testament pointing to Jesus who comes in and fulfills all of the things written in the past because Jesus himself is what we read earlier, the Prince of Peace. He's the one who brings harmony. He's the one who brings unity. He's the one who brings wholeness. And peace is what that means. Oftentimes in scripture, peace is closely connected to the concept of unity. In Ephesians 4, it says that we are to be bound together through the, we should love one another and bear one another, bear with one another in unity through the bond of peace. So what does peace even mean? I mean, when we think of the world saying that they want world peace, what came to me, first thing is miscongeniality. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie. It's, you know, highly recommended. No, just kidding. (laughs) Jokes. And uh, I thought of this, I was like, world peace. Like how often we just think, oh, world peace. We all want world peace. In the pageant realm, I, we did pageants when we were younger in Texas. And it's just like this high idea of the women walking out there and just saying like, what do we want? World peace. And I just thought of that concept. And I watched the, um, the clip on Miss Congeniality. And they have one woman after the next stepping up there. And it says, what is the most important thing our society needs? That's the question one after the next, that's easy, world peace. Oh, world peace. Oh, yes, world peace. And then Gracie Hart, who's played by Sandra Bullock, comes up there and she's an undercover agent going through these pageants. She's totally not a girly girl, wasn't trained in all this. They're training her as she's going. And she steps up there and he goes, what is the most important thing our society needs? And she says, uh, stricter, stricter, oh, dang it, um, ah, I ruined the joke, you guys, 
This is why I have sisters that are way better at telling jokes than me. Anyways, but she gets up there, she said, stricter whatever <laughs> for parole officers, Stan. And stricter sentences for parole officers, Stan. And he looks at her, and the crowd is silent. Everybody's just looking at each other. And then he looks at her, and she goes, and world peace. And everybody's like, yeah. And then she just walks off stage, and then her face goes, oh. Like immediately, that's what we think of, this idea of like, oh, world peace. And actually, it's a beautiful concept. I think that majority of us in this room or watching online would love to live in a place of world peace, where we all get along, where there's shalom, as scripture calls it, a wholeness, completeness, where we live in harmony with one another. There's no arguing. It's free of discord, dissension, disorder. Peace. Jesus himself is the one who comes in, and in a world of chaos, he says, I will give up my throne in heaven and come as humbly, as a lowly, in a lowly manger, as a baby, and says, This is our Prince of Peace in a manger? But he comes and he fulfills prophecy after prophecy after prophecy as it was written in all of the scriptures. I have this picture, which is, I think, a beautiful picture, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but there's this picture of the cross-references in scripture. And there's around, depending on who you talk to, there could, there's like 63, 64,000 cross-references where scriptures reference other things and they belong together. I mean, isn't that beautiful? I mean, this proves exactly what Paul is writing for it was written in the past, was written to teach us. So it's written to teach us. All of it from Genesis to Revelation is written to teach us something. So whatever you're needing in your life right now, I have a feeling there will be something, there will be a story, there will be a word written in the scriptures that can help you walk through this life. And it says as endurance and encouragement from the God who gives them. But today we're focusing in on peace. And if you always look at, con I, I always encourage people, when you're reading certain scriptures, look at it in its full context. And what we would love to have is world peace, of course. But when we look around our world, we see famine, we see chaos, we see pain, we see heartache. We experience those things ourselves. And so what do we do in this moment? And I think we need to ask ourselves, is peace on earth really possible? And if so, what role do I get to play in it? The contrast that Paul sets up between Jews and Gentiles, but also the contrast that we experience all the time in our everyday lives. I mean, constantly society is trying to move you over here and label you over here and label you back here. And now we all are in our own little tribes in our own little corners and throwing things at each other. <laughs> the problem with this context here is that in Romans 14, the chapter right before it, if you want to look just right before it, whether it's on your phone or in the word uh, right here, you look over to chapter 14 and I just want to walk through a few things with you before we move forward talking about peace. When we contrast it 
Paul is actually talking to people whose practices of what they do in church and how they, or synagogue, is, is expressed in a different way. So we're going to read chapter 14, 1 through 4. And it's, it's beautiful. And I'm excited to get to speak on this part because it says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. I think... Some of us just needed that today. (laughs) Or maybe, I'm not saying, this is not me convicting. Put it on a three-by-five card, maybe. Put it up there by your TV. And remember that even when you're learning things, that even when you're starting to take things in, to remember that we aren't to argue about disputable matters. We can have conversations, but don't argue about it. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak... I'm jumping to a different version, sorry. Um, One person faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Any vegetarians in here? You don't want to raise your hand right now, do you? Okay. (laughs) And what Paul is actually saying about faith is weak, he's not necessarily saying that they don't have faith. He's just saying that some people feel like they have the freedom to to eat meat and others only have the freedom to eat vegetables. And the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. The one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So he remember that he is talking to the church. This isn't about just accept everything that the world just throws out there. He's talking to the church. So we're, we're remembering that the disputable matters are what I like to call second-tier matters. The main thing, I always say this, keep the main thing, the main thing. Is God the Father, Jesus the Son, The Holy Spirit. Did Jesus die? Was he buried? Is he resurrected? And then the Spirit was sent to the church. And now do we believe in the church and his holy communion and baptism and the fact that Jesus is coming again? The Apostles' Creed. If we have that in agreement, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, there are other things that are disputable matters that are important to how we live our lives. It's not that we just don't know these things. It's just the fact that they are not something to go and cause division, dissension, and disrupt peace in the unity and in the body of believers. And so he's saying this because meat was often offered in the temples, And remember, we're in Rome, and there were paganism, there were pagan temples, and they would go in there, and remember, the Gentiles would most likely be in these pagan temples before they gave their lives to Jesus, and they would be offering um, meat and wine to these idols, and then, of course, spoiler alert, the idols can't eat the meat, so then they take the meat that was offered to these idols and the wine, and they take them, and then they sell them in the marketplace, So then believers would go into the marketplace and buy the meat that was already offered to idols. And then people are saying, don't eat it because it was over there before and now we can't have the meat. Other people were saying, I don't feel like I can do that. I feel like I just need to only eat veggies. I'm a vegetarian from now on. And Paul is saying, either way, 
is fine. Don't show contempt and do not judge your brother. I would like to submit that we give each other a little bit more benefit of the doubt in the church. To posture ourselves from a place of love and trust and hope that our brothers and sisters are doing the work that they need to do to study and to really know why they believe what they believe. And even if it's different, in disputable matters than what we believe, we can still have the bond of peace. Because we kept the main thing, the main thing. And it goes on in in chapter 14, he's talking about Sabbath days and keeping them holy or Sabbath days. Some people would do it on Saturdays and some days because of the Lord's day, Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday. That's why Christians have church on Sundays, usually. Sometimes on Saturdays and then any other time of the week now. But usually, historically, it's Sunday because it's the Lord's day. But Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, it's a Saturday. And then he's saying, well, actually, some people see all days the same. What does it matter except that you are fully convinced between you and God that you have sought and you have asked and you have prayed and you know where you stand on this and you found freedom with that. And and Romans 14, 14, it says this. Paul says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So that's where we're getting to, this idea of you need to just be fully convinced. I did a message back in June about the concept of being fully convinced. And I was over here pouring water into a pitcher. And what fully convinced means to be full to the brim of. So when you pour that pitcher and the water is hitting right at the top, you need to be that convinced that you know, especially if you are willing to have these conversations or judge other people, (laughs) to be fully convinced To spend time in the word, and then when you spend time in the word, he's going to tell you not to judge them. To be fully convinced about these matters in the church, some people don't like to have, um, some churches really believe you can't have guitars on stage. Or drums kits. And that's okay. That's where they've got to. We obviously have a lot of them. And that's okay because we believe that we have sought and we have prayed and we feel comfortable walking in that. But there are many disputable matters within the church and many disputable matters even in our own lives and where we stand on certain things. But the question is, are you loving your neighbor more than your liberty? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, love. And that's a common phrase used in the church. And it has sunk deeply within me because my heart and my passion is to see the church united. That's why we started Arise, to see many churches and backgrounds from across the valley come together and worship together. Because at the end of the day, the main thing is the main thing. And Romans 14, 17 through 19, it continues. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Or guitars on stage or not on stage. Or if you go to church on Saturdays or you don't go to church on Saturdays. The kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Do you catch that? Like any time that you put other people above that and you, you keep righteousness in right standing with God and with people, peace to live in harmony and joy, which is the strength that we get to live out and have this fullness. If we live that way, not only are we living in direct alignment with God, but we are also approved by people who might even completely disagree with us. And in another version, it says, pursue what promotes peace. Make every effort, you guys, every effort, every effort, church, to promote peace and to build other people up. I, I'm speaking to the church right now. I just feel like we are tearing too many of our brothers and sisters down. We are family. We need to get back to looking at each other like brothers and sisters. Because the world is looking and it's in chaos and disarray and in heartache and in pain. And they are looking for a place of shalom. A place of peace. And not only do we hope that our churches are that safe haven, but that we as individuals are a safe haven for a world that is looking and hoping, even if they don't say it, that there's another way. That there's got to be another way. And when we look at peace, I started getting this idea of compare and contrasting what peace is, what peace isn't. And I started to look that up, and I actually found this from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In 1957, he quoted this in the Alabama Tribune when they were saying, hey, um, don't you think that what you're doing is causing a bunch of disruption? <laughs> you're saying that you want peace, but you're just causing a lot of problems. And this is how he comes in and he says this, I come not to bring this old peace, which is merely the absence of tension. I come to bring a positive peace, which is the presence of justice in the kingdom of God. Peace is not merely the absence of something, but it's the presence of something. And so I have three quick points. You know me, it's not gonna be that quick. So I have three points. <laughs> That we're going to go through, and I hope it's a compare and contrast of it's peace is not this, but it is this. And the first one is this. Peace is not the absence of emotion, but the presence of compassion. And I want to just say this. There's a lot of things that peace is not and a lot of things that peace is. You can go a lot of different ways. I just feel like these are the three that I've come to over this week of study. So peace is not the absence of emotion. What happens sometimes is when we think of peace, we just think like, we get in the Zen state, and then you're just like, I don't feel anything. I don't know anyone. I have no thoughts in my brain. How many have had that experience where you have no thoughts in your brain? I just found out that's a normal thing for people. Okay. Oh, God bless you. He gave you that gift, and I wish I had it. Okay. And so you get into this space where you just have no emotion, and you're just like feeling free, which I believe peace leads to freedom. Authentic peace always leads to freedom. But what happens is, is for the sake of peace, a lot of people feel like they can't feel anything just so they, they, they connect with someone else or they, they put their beliefs to the side. And I would like to submit that you don't have to put your beliefs to their side. You can still have deep convictions and show compassion. Because when we show compassion, peace is the pursuit of compassion and you put others above yourself. 
to be fully convinced as we already talked about. And I would also say not to be so afraid of what other people are going to think of you while you're trying to love on your neighbor that you don't love on your neighbor. To have compassion doesn't mean you don't, like to, to have peace is not the absence of emotion of even disagreement with your neighbor. But it's more so for the compassion for their heart, for their betterment. To accept one another as we already read. Accept one another. Dr. Carla Sundberg is one of our general superintendents for the Nazarene Church, and she said this, and I think it was a year and a half ago. I'm not really sure the timing, but it just struck me so hard. It says, position is different than posture. Your position towards something can be different than your posture towards someone. We as a church need to have a posture of humility, a posture of gentleness, a posture of compassion, a posture of peace to everyone that we come in contact with, even if our position on something differs than the way that they live. That is inside the church and outside of the church. And if we just put those emotions aside, that's not getting rid of our convictions. It's just living in compassion over our convictions. Our convictions actually will fuel our compassion if we really dive deep into the word. I wanted to fix what I just said there. Our aim should not just be agreeing with everyone. Our aim should be being at peace with everyone. And this, uh, I got this in one of the commentaries I read this week. It says, oneness doesn't come from winning arguments by destroying the opponent's case. Neither does it come by caving in and compromising one's convictions for the sake of peace. This spirit of unity comes from following Christ and glorifying your Father in heaven. So again, we don't have to destroy people. <laughs> Please don't. But we also don't have to cave into our convictions for the sake of peace, but we have to remember why we are unified as one body. And just so you know, there are different things that we even believe here as Nazarenes that are different than other churches around here. But even my, my convictions won't keep me from working hand in hand with other believers to serve our community. We can't let those secondary disputable things keep us from showing compassion to the world that needs it. It's the presence. Peace will bring presence of compassion because it brings harmony. It brings wholeness and completeness. And when you feel that and you walk in it, you can walk into any space and know that you have something that is more than you to offer the people that you're around. Is peace on earth possible? And if so, what part do you play in it? The second one is this. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of reconciliation. This, this story came to my mind this week. Um, in 1994, I'm sure some of you have heard about the genocide in Rwanda. And I was studying, studying this again. I've seen some of the movies on it. And in 1994, um, the, the Tutsis and the Hutus, they were really just already going after each other. But what happened was is that the president of Rwanda was struck down, his airplane went down, and all of a sudden it led this gaping hole of a power grab, and the Hutus came in and started slaughtering the Tutsis. And honestly, many Hutus died as well. The UN sends in their peacekeepers. They drop in. There's about 2,500 of them, the blue helmet, UN peacekeepers, and they go into Rwanda. Now, the only thing is, is that they can't actually 
do anything unless they are fired upon or if they're helping foreigners escape. So they can't actually help the people that they are around. And what happened in this moment, the, even the UN goes back and, and people start being slaughtered right in front of them. And they're like, I can't do this because I, I can't have any conflict. Like, we can't do this. I am only here to do this part. And even the UN comes back years later and says that that was the wrong move. One of them even says, troops were withdrawn when they were most needed. And this is a UN um, chief of staff. And he says, we should have done much more. Instead of overseeing national reconciliation, the UN soldiers became eyewitnesses to genocide. When we are set in those moments, and, and they were there, their job was to peace keep. So peace is not the absence of conflict because they were like, I can't be in the conflict. I'm only here to do my job. But actually what they come back and say many years later is we actually should have stepped forward and helped reconcile, helped to save, helped to diplomatically bring this nation together. But we retreated because we're peacekeepers, not peacemakers. Church, we tend to do this. We become so about peacekeeping. We don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to step out. We don't want conflict because we're about peace. So we don't engage in conflict. But actually, we need to step into conflict a lot of times and provide another way of reconciliation. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting, not counting people's sins against them. God is not. So we, okay, just making sure. And he, was commit, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. We are to make his appeal through us as peacemakers to step into conflict. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. I love the armor of God. And one of the things, the pieces of the armor, when you're stepping into this battle, stepping in, and he's talking about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, put on the armor of God. And when the day of evil comes to take your stand, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the what? Shoes of peace. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. But the shoes of peace, what are they wearing? They're going to battle and you have shalom shoes on? Like... I love to call them my shalom shoes. That's what I do in the morning. I'm like, okay, got to put my shalom shoes on. Everywhere I walk, I get to step into and be a person of peace no matter what conflict I step into, no matter what thing God asks me to do. Even when he asks me to speak out when it's uncomfortable and it might cause division, but for the good of everyone around me because it is light and darkness. We are here to bring light and push back the darkness and we are going to have to step forward into that to bring the light into those spaces, to put on our shalom shoes, the shoes of peace into conflict. It's not just the absence of, I will say, sometimes there's not any conflict in your life and you can be at peace. I'm not saying there has to be conflict. I'm just saying we live in this world, our eyes are open, we see there's many conflicts going on around us. Ask the Lord where you can step in and bring peace on earth. 
a peacemaker, not just a peace lover or a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker as he makes your, his appeal through you. And to not be, to not choose comfort over conflict. I think that's a word for myself. I often choose what's comfortable and what I feel comfortable with and in before I want to step into and sacrifice some things, even having to read more on something, to have more knowledge on it so that I can have the conversations. It takes sacrifice to help bring reconciliation. Not only just reconciliation between us and God, but also us between other people and to help them not only know God, but also their relationships as well. Every one of us has been given this ministry of reconciliation and ambassador. I actually had a dream when I was really young and I thought that that was my, <laughs> that's when I knew I was called to preach. I didn't call to preach. Uh, I was called to ministry and I was like in seventh grade and I had this dream and I was an ambassador to France. It was wild. I'm pretty sure I was on a roller coaster in that dream, but who knows? I knew I was doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and I told my Sunday school teacher, like, I'm called to ministry because I was an ambassador in my dream. And then I totally ran from the Lord for many years, but I came back to it. I'm like, no, I am called to be an ambassador. And then I read that verse and it says, we are all called to be Christ's ambassadors. So I don't know what I was dreaming about, but obviously we are all here and I am not that special. Okay, so <laughs> just kidding. That was a fun fact. But we move into this space of being ambassadors, of bringing peace and harmony in our relationships. Our relationship, God wants that with you. That's why in the garden, when sin entered the world, he came looking for Adam and Eve. And he says, where are you? I know that you just did something wrong. I know that sin has entered the world. But he's a God of reconciliation and of relationship. And he came after them to make sure they could still have it. And he made a sacrifice for them to make sure that they could still have it. And on and on throughout the Old Testament are sacrifices until we get to the New Testament. And he offers up his son and his son offers up his life as the ultimate sacrifice to where we don't have to live in that. We actually can just ask at any point in time and we can be reconciled to the father and live in peace with him. Be reconciled and then go and show others another way. And the last one is this. I understand that we've talked about church unity. We've talked about doing that in the world and loving on other people. And I just have a feeling in this season, a lot of people are also like, this is great, and I so agree. However, if you just knew my life right now, I can't even get the concept beyond my own life. I feel you in that. You are not alone. And God sees you. And peace is not the absence, and this is the last one, of external chaos but it's the presence of an internal stillness. We were just singing earlier, peace be still. Be still and know that I am God. As it says in Psalms, to be still. Now a lot of you, we have a lot of new babies around here, a lot of young parents, and you guys, I just want some peace and quiet. Okay, <laughs> I get that. I don't get that, but I look at you and then I get it, you know? <laughs> I don't have children if you don't know. And uh, I know that sometimes you go around and you're like, oh my goodness, the only time that I can have peace and quiet is literally when I'm unconscious, right? Like this is the idea of this is peace in my life is when I'm asleep. And that's not just for parents of young kids. So often 
We are struggling with so much that the only time we feel we have peace is when we are asleep, when we can't feel the external chaos because it's the only time we feel as if there's an internal stillness. But God has that for you while you are awake. And that is good, good news. Jesus himself, he was on a boat with his disciples. And I love this story so much. He's on the boat with his disciples and, this, and he's taking a nap. Yes, Jesus takes naps, and it gives me such freedom to do so every day for at least 15 minutes. And he's on this boat, and all of a sudden, his disciples are like freaking out because the winds are going, and the waves are crashing, and they're freaking out because they're like, we're going to die. And Jesus is asleep on the boat (laughs) in the middle of the storm. Now, these are people who already know that Jesus, they've already said, this is Jesus the Messiah. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. We've seen him do miracles. We've seen him work wonders. And now they think that on the boat with Jesus, they're all going to sink and die? Like, think about it. They're freaking out because of the chaos and the storm around them. Yet they have the Prince of Peace on the boat with them. And so oftentimes in our lives, we actually forget that peace is a person. He is the embodiment of reconciliation. He is the embodiment of compassion. He is the embodiment of peace. And if you're walking in here today just confused and anxious, driven, or depressed, and you're not sure how how you're even going to figure this out, I mean, even studying for for this message, I had to like, this this week was chaotic, and I'm like, Great, I'm speaking on peace. Like now I'm having to like calm myself, like calm it, speak scriptures over myself. I understand what it's like to have those moments of severe anxiety and be like, I don't know if I can do this. Whatever that might be for you. But this verse has got me through so much and I pray that you write this down and just remember it all week. It says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all of your understanding. Literally, it just like, it can go above and beyond to where you don't even, you can't even explain to someone else why you have peace. It will guard your hearts and your minds in who? Christ Jesus Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting God, Almighty Father, he will guard your heart and your mind if you just submit them to him. And right before it, it actually says rejoice. Rejoice, do not be anxious. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves to rejoice. What are good things in thankfulness? What's going on? What can I be thankful for? Lord, take these things. I praise you. I exalt you. I admit these things to you. And then I will consider things that are good and holy and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. And I will trust that you are who you say you are. And I can take my hands off of this situation. That even in the midst of the chaos surrounding me, I can still have a deep inner stillness because he is within me. If the band can come up as we close today, we are celebrating Advent. And that is, means it's the coming of. And 
at Christmas, we always celebrate the, the coming of Jesus the first time, but also during this time, we remember the coming, remember that he's coming again for us, and that Jesus at first stepped into the middle of chaos. He stepped into the middle of this world to bring peace and a different way and of harmony and of unity for his people who say yes to him. And he is coming again. And he will be riding a horse the next time, the Bible says. Hallelujah. And his eyes will be on fire, which is wild if you read Revelation. And it will say truth and righteousness on his sash. And he will come to bring a peace that is everlasting. Yes, there will be war. Yes, there will be famine. And people, we have got to, as the church, understand the concept of peace. Because until he comes, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get easier, but we have a hope through scriptures that give us endurance and encouragement as one body that we can say that you are our Prince of Peace. You are coming again in one mind, one voice, one body saying the same thing. And with each other, we celebrate and give the world that's in darkness a beautiful glimpse of what we get to live in in eternity. Because it's coming, a place of peace, a place of harmony. And I pray that I get to sing well with everybody else. That's what I pray for. I'll get to sing in harmony with you and of wholeness and completeness and shalom. What a powerful image. What a beautiful picture. Is peace on earth possible? Right now, I say that it is. Because he is here. And his spirit is moving. And it's in every single one of us who have said yes to Jesus. And then we get to pour that out and overflow with hope onto the people around us. Peace is possible. But what role are you going to play in that? Everybody, let's stand. We're going to be moving into a time of communion. And I just ask um, that we reflect on where our lives have been, what we've been going through, and this message that maybe we respond. Maybe there's something within this that you're like, from the, from the first place of peace, it's not the, this place of compassion where you feel like you have to just, all, you don't have to put aside your convictions, but you're like, I need to have more compassion and understanding and maybe even study more so that I can have better love for my neighbor within the church and outside of the church. Maybe there's something, one subject that you're like, it always riles me up. And I'm just like, I've got to learn how to have more compassion on that. Or maybe for you, when there's peace, it's not the absence of conflict, but the presence of reconciliation. Maybe there's a relationship in your life. And it might be between you and God right now. That's been a little out of order. It's been disordered, dissension, disagreement. And you can come to the Father and say, God, I want to be at peace with you again. I don't want this anymore. It says that he actually doesn't even count it against you when you say and you ask for forgiveness from him. Or a relationship in your life. Reconciliation doesn't always end in a great relationship with the person, but to try and reconcile and also be at peace in your own heart with God that you have done your best to reconcile. We have great messages on reconciliation around here. Josiah preaches a great one if you want one on that, and that's what you need this week. Or maybe you know that you can bring that from people groups or through people in your, in your family. Maybe this is a charge for you to put on your shalom shoes and walk into those hard conflicts and offer a better way, a peaceful way. Or maybe for you it's the last one. 
where they're so chaotic, but you feel chaotic inside too. It doesn't feel very at peace right now. It doesn't feel like there's stillness and calm. There's anxiety and depression. I want you to know that like God sees you and that you can actually have freedom over that. Every day, in a moment, he promises it to us. And maybe all you need to do is say, God, I choose to let it go. I choose to be thankful for what you have given me. And I offer this to you because you are my Prince of Peace. So I'm gonna pray. And then after I pray, we're gonna sing a song. And we're gonna file down our communions down here up front. Um, we just ask that you have, that even if you're not a part of our church, everyone is welcome um, to the table, but we do ask that you have accepted and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior because this is a reminder of what he's done for us. Because it says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That one blew my mind this week because of the way that I came to Jesus, I was a disaster. And he accepted me on that floor of a closet when I was crying out and about to take my own life. God says, I accept you. I take you in. I died for you. I did all of that for you. Now get up and walk with me. The Prince of Peace shows up and he does that for each one of us. He died on a cross and yet he was buried and rose again, triumphant over death, triumphant over sin. And when we take communion, that's what we're celebrating as one, as one body. We might have different beliefs on disputable matters, but we believe that he is who he says he is. The main thing is the main thing and it's an honor to get to celebrate as one body. And so we're going to ask you to, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to um, come down, file. And I just ask that you hold on to it, because just because of what we're talking about, I would love to partake together. So just hold on to it, and then um, we will partake in communion together. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much just for the beauty of this time together, Lord God. We thank you um, that you are a God that meets us in our mess, that you are a God who offers um, just another way, a better way, a peacemaking way, Lord Jesus, that you will just make warriors in this room who are willing to walk out in calmness and in peacefulness and in shalom to a world that's waiting and needing it, Lord God. I pray for relationships in here that need to be reconciled. Lord God, I pray for those broken relationships, whether through you, with you, or with other people, Lord God. I pray and I know that you are a healer. You say you are a healer. You say you are the God of life. And so I ask that you go right now and impress on spirits to mend these relationships, Lord Jesus, right now. And I pray for the one who is dealing with anxiety, Lord God. I say no more because we get to rejoice of all the things that you have done for us, Lord God. We thank you for life. We thank you for breath. We thank you for this just church, family, Lord God, all the things we can be thankful for and we submit the things that we are worried about to your throne room and let you take care of the rest, our sovereign Lord, the one who is above all. We submit it to you and we say thank you for all that you've done for us, that all that you've given us and that you had such compassion for us that it's not just for us, but it's so that it can make an appeal through us to those who are waiting. Lord, we thank you for it. And we pray a blessing over this time. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen. You can come when you're ready.